All right, brothers and sisters, praise this be to our loving Father that we are gathered once again to study his words and his commandments. Tonight, we're going to talk about uh, chapter four of the book of Daniel. And the question we want to post uh, for all of you is, will Nebuchadnezzar be saved? You might be saying to yourself, what kind of crazy question is that? Well, of course, Nebuchadnezzar is not going to be saved because he's a bad guy, right? Well, before you go ahead and make your conclusions, let's go through the, the book of uh, Daniel first, Daniel chapter four. Before we go to Daniel chapter four, just a quick recap of chapter three, if you still remember, Nebuchadnezzar, because of his boasting and basically defying the father, what did he do? He had a statue made of gold made, and not only that, he invited all the people to publicly declare that he is their king and leader. And so he was requesting, well, not requesting, because Nebuchadnezzar does not make requests. He was demanding the people to pledge their complete loyalty and complete surrender to his will as an absolute monarch. But of course, there were those who refused to do that, who did not bow down to the golden statue, and they were the three Hebrews. Because of their defiance, they were cast into the furnace of fire. But because of Yahuwah Abba's help and love, what happened to the three Hebrews? They were delivered from the fiery furnace, and they were promoted by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar recognized the true God of heaven. And so that was chapter 3. Let's now proceed to chapter 4 of the book of Daniel. Daniel 4, 1 to 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And so we open the book of Daniel chapter 4 with Nebuchadnezzar telling the people about what the most high God performed for him. And then he goes on to say that his kingdom, not Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, but the kingdom of God is the eternal kingdom because his dominion endures from generation to generation. So we can see in chapter four of the book of Daniel, uh, the focus is shifting away from himself and towards who? Yahuwah Allahim. However, as we will see, that shift has not yet been completed. Something else needs to happen. And so while Nebuchadnezzar is telling the people that the kingdom of God is the only eternal kingdom, what does Nebuchadnezzar say? Let's read the book of uh, Daniel 4, 4 to 7. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions and ter that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so that they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. And so Daniel, meant, uh, not Daniel, but Nebuchadnezzar mentions about another dream. This dream is different from the one he had in the book of Daniel chapter two. Okay, this is a different dream. This dream is something that frightened him as well. And so he asked his wise man to interpret the dream. He tells them what the dream is about, but they could not interpret the dream properly. 
And so he does not know what the, the dream meant to him. And so what did he do? In Daniel 4, 8 to 9, at last Daniel came in before me and I told him the dream. He was named Belteshazzar after my God and the spirit of the holy God, the holy gods is in him. I said to him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream means. And so because Nebuchadnezzar's magicians and wise men could not interpret his dream, who does he turn to? He turns to Daniel. Notice what he said about Daniel. His name is Belteshazzar. And what does that mean? It has something to do with his God. Apparently, Nebuchadnezzar still worshiped other gods. He still worshiped pagan gods. Does he believe in the God of Daniel? What is your answer? Yes, he acknowledges the God of Daniel. However, he was not yet converted. He was impressed, right? He was impressed with what the God of Daniel is able to do because of the power that he's able to deliver the three Hebrews from the fiery furnace and the wisdom that were given to those who worship this God of Daniel. And so he was impressed, but he was not yet converted. And so he believed intellectually, but he was not yet convinced that he was the only true God. And when we think about reality today, when we think about people and their practice of religion, so many today are impressed with Christianity, but they're not truly converted, right? They're amazed by the biblical prophecies, but they're not yet converted. They are amazed by the accuracy of the Holy Scriptures and the teachings of the Holy Bible, the teachings of our King Yahusha, but they are not converted. And so before one can be converted, a process has to happen first. And this is basically what Daniel chapter 4 is all about. The process that Yahuwah Abba used so that Nebuchadnezzar would go from being impressed to being converted. It starts out with something troubling. You notice when we are not fully uh, worshiping Yahuwah Abba, when we are not fully convinced about what we do as members of the Assembly of Yahusha, when people are not yet fully devoted to Yahuwah Abba, Yahuwah is going to use some instrument to kind of wake us up, to kind of tell us, you better look at me and commit your life to me. And it's a good thing God does that because he does that because he wants us to really renew our life. And so what he does with Nebuchadnezzar is he gives him a troubling dream. And so what was this dream about? So now he's telling Daniel about the dream. And this is what it says in Daniel 4, 10, 12. While I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. And so what was the dream all about? It was about a tree, and this was not an ordinary tree. Why? Because this tree was large, very tall and strong, and it reached all the way to the heavens and all the world was fed 
from this tree. So this tree was not an ordinary tree, a powerful and prosperous tree. It represented the strength of humankind. That's the dream, but it does not end there. Because remember, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was frightened by this dream. Why was he frightened? Let's keep reading about the dream in 13 and 14. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds from its branches. And so as the dream continues, what does Nebuchadnezzar relate to Daniel? He says to Daniel, in my visions, in my dream, there was a watcher, right? What was his watcher? A holy one coming from heaven, an angel of God. And this watcher, this holy one from heaven, he says something that troubles him. What is that? He cried aloud and said, chop down the tree and cut off its branches. So this big tree is going to be cut down. What else was instructed by the angel? Let's read 4 and the verses 15. Nevertheless, leave the stump and its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Something strange is happening. So the tree is cut down, but additional instructions were given. What were the additional instructions? Leave the stump and roots in the earth. And so the tree would not be uprooted. It would still be there, but it would no longer be in its majestic form. What would happen to it? It would be nothing but a stump. The roots are still in the earth, but the tree is nothing but a stump. And it's bound with a band of iron and bronze. And then something happens. It mentions, and let him graze. And so it the pronoun describing the tree becomes a him. Let him graze with the beast on the grass of the earth, which suggests the tree is represented by a man, a powerful man who would be chopped down and he would become nothing but a stump. And this man will graze with the beast on the grass of the earth. What else will happen to this man who was likened to a tree? Let's keep reading 16 to 17. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. And so what also is to happen to this man? Well, the Bible says not only will this man be cut down, like a tree is being cut down, this man will be given a heart of a beast. 
And so when it refers to the heart, it refers to also the personality of the person. And so for some reason, this man is going to adopt the personality of a beast. And so this is indeed an unusual dream. This is why Nebuchadnezzar was confused and his wise men could not properly explain it. And so Daniel, after uh, Nebuchadnezzar relates his dream to Daniel, what does he instruct Daniel to do? Daniel 4.18, Belteshazzar, that's who's that again? Belteshazzar, that's Daniel. Uh, that was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Again, the king is not yet converted, right? He still believes in many gods. And so he's telling Daniel, because he believes the spirit of the many gods is in him, he could tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was about. And so when Daniel... Uh, listen to the instruction of King Nebuchadnezzar. What uh, did he do? Let's read uh, verse 19 now. At this, Daniel, who is called Belteshazzar, was so alarmed that he could not say anything. The king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream and its message alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, your majesty, I wish that the dream and its explanation applied to your enemies and not to you. And so while Daniel was listening to the dream, it was obvious to Daniel that the dream applied to who? King Nebuchadnezzar. But he did not want anything bad to happen to Nebuchadnezzar because Daniel had developed an affinity for Nebuchadnezzar. And so they became actually good friends. Nebuchadnezzar adored Daniel. Daniel developed some affection for Nebuchadnezzar. And so when he heard this dream, he knew immediately it applied to who? Nebuchadnezzar, right? But he could not say. And so he was alarmed. He was so alarmed, the king could see it in his face. This is why the king said, Belfashazar, don't let the dream and its message alarm you. And so he says to the king, I wish, I wish that the dream and its explanation applied to your enemies and not to you. And so Daniel had to do the difficult uh, part of explaining to him what the dream was about. And so what did he say uh, to the king? Let's read 20 to 22. The, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air, you, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. And so when Daniel was explaining to King Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was all about, he said that tree that you saw, which became great and strong, well, that's you, O king. And so the tree represented who? The king, right? The tree represented Nebuchadnezzar because he became great and he became strong. This is a biblical pattern that we also see. Human beings, when they have power, when they have influence, when they have prosperity and strength, they are likened to trees. For example, in the book of Psalms, 37, 35 to 36, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. So human beings, 
in the Holy Bible are often likened to trees. When they prosper, when they succeed, when they have great power, even if they are wicked in the eyes of Abba. This is why we should not think that if a person is powerful and prospering and is accomplishing many things, that this person is a righteous person. No, because even wicked people can rise to power and have strength and wisdom. And so we need to make the, we need to see the difference between the prosperity that comes from God and the prosperity that comes only from man. And so Nebuchadnezzar and other people, they're likened to trees. In this particular dream, Nebuchadnezzar is that tree that rose to power, became strong, and became great. So that was the first part of the explanation. Now, what does it mean that it's going to be cut down? Well, I think that's pretty obvious, right? But let's go ahead and look at the explanation of Daniel. Daniel 4, 23 to 25. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation of king. And this is the decree of the most high, which was, has come upon my Lord, the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And so what else this is the dream about? According to the explanation of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, who is the tree that will be cut down, will not only be cut down because he will lose access to his power, he will lose his power and authority. Not only will he not have access to his power and authority, the Bible says something weird is going to happen to him. What is that? He's going to live in the wilderness with the beasts. He's going to eat grass like oxen. So he's going to behave like an animal. He's going to be debased. He's going to be humbled. Why? What is the purpose of Yahuwah Abba? in changing his personality from that of a boastful king into an animal, a beast of the field, an oxen. The Bible says, till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and give it to whomever he chooses. And so he's going to humble Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to live in the fields instead of in the palace. You see the big difference? Instead of sitting on the throne, boasting of his power, he's going to be in the fields, grazing the grass, together with the other oxen. And so he's going to humble him that way. How long is this uh, going to take place? How long will this be for, this punishment of Nebuchadnezzar? The Bible says, till seven times pass over him. Now, what does that mean, seven times? Well, because we are in the book of Daniel, and because we're going to use the definition of times in future prophecies of Daniel, let's go ahead and look at, take a look through Blue Letter Bible, what the meaning of times uh, means. Times, the Hebrew word is idan, Hebrew 5732, and it refers to year, okay? So when it says seven times, it's seven years. So in seven years, 
Nebuchadnezzar is not going to live in the palace. He's going to live in uh, the fields. For seven years, he's not going to eat human food. He's not going to eat the, uh, the delicacies of the kings and drink the best wine available. He's going to be in the fields eating what? Grass. And so he's going to experience extreme humility here, right? And this is going to take place for seven years. However, what happens after the seven years? Daniel 4.26, but the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. And so it's a good thing that the tree was not uprooted because it means that he will receive his kingdom back. After how long? Seven years. And so what does Yahuwah God want to teach Nebuchadnezzar? That it is heaven that rules, right? He wants to teach Nebuchadnezzar, it's not about you. It's about who? Yahuwah. What is, what is he trying to teach Nebuchadnezzar? That instead of getting praise for himself, you give praise to who? Yahuwah, right? You give praise to God because your accomplishments are not yours. The only reason why you accomplish so much is because of the help of Yahuwah Alahim. So this was the meaning of the dream. So Daniel was concerned because seven years, that's a long time. And he doesn't want that to happen to his buddy, Nebuchadnezzar. And so what does he advise Nebuchadnezzar to do? Let's read the book of uh, Daniel 4.27. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. And so what was the advice given by Daniel so that if there's still an opportunity, he could avoid this, that, this problem. And of course, as human beings, we want to avoid it. But sometimes it's too late. God has already decreed it. But if for some reason, Yahuwah God will be merciful, Daniel is telling King Nebuchadnezzar, look, there may still be a chance. Why don't you do this? This is my advice for you. What is that? Stop sinning. What do you call that when you say stop sinning? That's the beginning of repentance, right? And a lot of times as human beings, we need to acknowledge that we are guilty of sin. We need to look at our life and say to ourselves, we need to change from our ways. This is important. And Daniel wants the king to understand the reason why this has been decreed against him is because of his sin. Sins bring problems in our life. If we remove sin, then we can minimize the problems in our life, right? And so he's telling uh, the king, stop sinning. But you know, stopping to commit sin is just the first half of repentance. What's the other half? The Bible says, and do what is right. That completes the process of repentance. So we stop sinning and we do what is right. And da uh, Daniel even advises the king to do what? Because it is right and pleasing to Yahuwah to be merciful to the poor. You notice Yahuwah, our loving father, he's always looking after the poor and the oppressed, those who are weak and cannot help themselves. What Yahuwah wants is that for people who have power and authority, instead of oppressing them, they should, they're supposed to be helping them. That's the reason why they were given power and strength in the first place, to help those who cannot help themselves. That's the righteousness and justice of Yahuwah God. And so this is what Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar. 
There are so many poor people in the land. Why don't you help them? This is the right thing to do, especially if you are king of your kingdom. You can do this and no one can stop you. And so that's what Daniel's telling him, to repent, to renew his life. But after 12 months, what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Does he heed the advice of Daniel? Let's read Daniel 4, 28 to 30. All this did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Only 12 months later, perhaps, we don't know, maybe he was given 12 months of grace period, right? He was given an opportunity to repent. 12 months is what you're going to be given. But if you don't change after 12 months, then something's going to happen. And so only 12 months later, while he was walking around on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon, he said... Look how great Babylon is. Oh, boy. <laughs> I built it as my capital city to display my power and might, my glory and majesty. And so instead of humbling himself, instead of stopping the sin, what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He goes to the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. And what does he do? He boasts of his accomplishments. He boasts of his building projects. He boasts of his glory, power, might, and majesty. This is what he would often do. Nebuchadnezzar was known for boasting about his accomplishments. Did you know that? Because when we look at the accomplishments of Nebuchadnezzar, he built a kingdom. That was unlike any kingdom before. Is an artist's rendition of the kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar had built, the kingdom of Babylon, and it was grand. And those who were living during that time, they considered the kingdom of Babylon to be the most awesome sight in the face of the earth. And there was no force that could conquer Babylon because it was fortified with two walls. And so Nebuchadnezzar would often boast about how his kingdom would last forever because of what he do has done to fortify his kingdom. When you look at that kingdom, that's pretty impressive. Look at how thick the walls are. Look at how thick the defenses are. When we look at the schematic of that kingdom, it's covered by two walls and it's surrounded by a moat. And so he had many building projects. He built the palace, the Tower of Babel. It's located somewhere there, a temple of Marduk. He built a temple for Marduk. He had many building projects, and one of the most impressive building projects that he was well known for was the building of what is called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. And this was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's so magnificent. Um, there's a story that I think Saddam Hussein was willing to pay a lot of money for anyone who can figure out how the hanging gardens was, ir was irrigated, right? It was so impressive, the hanging gardens of Nebuchadnezzar. It was the pinnacle of his achievements. And he placed a lot of pride in building this garden, this garden of Babylon. So this tree that became so high, right? He was boasting about his strength. And one of the ways he boasted about his abilities was to build a garden, okay? What else? What else did he build? He also built uh, what is called the 
Ishra Gate, and this is a replica of the actual gate, right? It was constructed in 575 BC by the order of King Nebuchadnezzar. The Ishtar Gate was one of the many thresholds that surrounded and protected Babylonia from outside forces. The eighth gate of the inner city, the creation of the colossal structure, was as much as a defensive maneuver as a political one. And I hope you understand why Nebuchadnezzar had to do this. He wanted to unite the people. And so he wanted to show them that he was the type of king that you don't want to mess with. Because he not only had the, the iron rod, he also had the great capability to build many things. So he was not an ordinary king. He was godlike. And in, in fact, when you read the inscriptions, the Babylonian inscriptions found that has been dug up by archaeology, these are some of the things that Nebuchadnezzar said about himself. Therefore, I, Nebuchadnezzar, this was found in the building, the building inscription of the Ishtar Gate. This is found. Therefore, I, Nebuchadnezzar, pulled down these gates and I laid bare for foundations at the water table with asphalt and bricks and had them made of bricks with blue stone on which wonderful bulls and dragons were depicted. I covered the roofs by laying majestic cedars uh, lengthwise over them. I hung the, door, uh, the doors of cedar adorned with bronze, the gate openings. I placed wild bulls and ferocious dragons in the gateways and thus adorned them with luxurious splendor so that people might gaze on them in wonder. And other, in other places, he has this inscription, the inscriptions depict Nebuchadnezzar's extensive building projects. And so not only was he known for expanding his kingdom, but he was known for his building projects, which is depicted not only in these coniform tablets, but also in cylinders. Some of the many foundation cylinders in which Nebuchadnezzar details his extensive building program. For example, in one of these archaeological finds, in the Babylonian inscription, Nebuchadnezzar says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, I am the son of Nabopolassar, king of Babylon, I who erected the Ezidah temple, I who built the procession street, the street of the forgiven, the forgiven son, the street of Nebu, and page it with shimmering stones. Nebu, you, the divine minister, grant me immortality. And so one thing that historians conclude about Nebuchadnezzar was that he prided himself with his accomplishments. This is why if there were Guinness books of world records during the days of uh, Babylon, he would have applied for all the records and he would have boasted about these records because he wanted people to see what he was able to accomplish when he sat on the throne of Babylon. So when we look at the characteristics of Nebuchadnezzar as king of Babylon, what can we say about his characteristics. He, what we have here, based on Daniel chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, okay, these are the seven characteristics of Nebuchadnezzar's leadership. Number one, he was a monarch, meaning he was the only ruler. And so his decision was final. It could not be overruled. There was no Sanhedrin. There was no division of power. No. He had all the power. He had absolute monarchy. He had so sole absolute authority when it comes to decisions made throughout his kingdom. Number two, he used brainwashing and indoctrination strategies. And so he would teach them while they're still young, just like what happened to Daniel on the three 
Hebrews. He would brainwash them in the ways of the Chaldees. And so this was his protocol. He wanted to convert people to his way of thinking. Because when he does that, then they will be the ones who can be instruments in building his kingdom. Number three, use power and authority to rule by fear. The people were afraid. Because if they were not to obey King Nebuchadnezzar, he was swift when it comes to discipline. We learned this in the book of Daniel chapter one. Number four, makes impossible demands from his people. Just like when he demanded his wise men to tell him what he dreamt about, right? He makes impossible demands from his people. Number five, demands public display of absolute loyalty and surrender to him. Just like when he gathered all the people together and they were to pledge their loyalty to that to him when they had this grand ceremony, the dedication of the golden statue. What else? Number six, he uses power. He uses the power of music uh, to instill in the hearts of his followers to adore and praise him. Not only does he brainwash their minds, he brainwashes their hearts as well. Number seven, what we found out today, he boasted of his accomplishments and building projects. And so this is Nebuchadnezzar, okay? He was a powerful and a strong leader who succeeded in establishing the most powerful kingdom during his time. However, something that we need to look at when you look at the seven characteristics, what is the root? What is the common denominator when you look at the seven characteristics of Nebuchadnezzar's leadership? Solar absolute authority, brainwashing, use of power, makes demands from people, demands public display of loyalty to him. They want, he wants the people to adore him. He wants, he boasts of his accomplishments. There's one word that describes that. What word is that? If you were to choose one word to describe, to describe the seven characteristics of Nebuchadnezzar's leadership, what would it be? Starts with the letter P. <laughs> what do you say? Pride. This was a big problem. And Yahuwah wants, he, he wanted to show the people, he wants to show us through the Bible concerning the problem of pride. Because to Yahuwah, pride is a big thing. As a matter of fact, in the book of Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, these six things, Yahuwah hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Seven things that are an abomination to Yahuwah Elohim. Number one on the list is pride. And when you look at the rest, it often is associated with people who rule with pride. Because of their pride, they will not be thinking twice about shedding innocent blood or finding ways and scheming things so that false witnesses can give a testimony on their behalf, they're not going to think twice to do that because of their pride. What else is, what does Yahuwah say about pride? Proverbs 16, 5 and 18, everyone proud in his heart is an abomination to Yahuwah. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so Yahuwah makes it clear when there is pride, the next thing that's going to happen is a fall. And so he's showing us a case example of this playing out in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. He was boastful. He had pride. Something has to happen. He's going to fall. 
And that's what the dream is all about. Because one thing Yahuwah does not like, in fact, the Bible says he hates it because it's an abomination to him. What is it again? It is pride. A proud heart, a proud look, this is an abomination before Yahuwah Abba. And so when he was on his palace and he looked at Babylon and looked at his accomplishments and he boasted and said to himself, look what I have done. What happened even before he finished what he was saying about himself? Let's read Daniel 4, 31 to 33. Before the words were out of his mouth, he was just thinking about it. A voice spoke from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, listen to what I say. Your royal power is now taken away from you. You will be driven away from human society. Live with wild animals and eat grass like an ox for seven years. And you will acknowledge that the supreme God has power over human kingdoms and that he can give them to anyone he chooses. The words came true immediately. Nebuchadnezzar was driven out of human society and ate grass like an ox. The dew fell on his body and his hair grew as long as eagle feathers and his nails as long as bird claws. So what happened? While he was thinking about his accomplishments, while he was boasting about his successes as king of Babylon, the Bible says there was a voice from heaven and spoke out and said, Nebuchadnezzar, your royal power is now taken away from you. So the tree was cut off, right? Second phase of that punishment, Bible says he left the palace and he went to eat grass like an ox. He spent his days in the field. And in the field, the dew fell on his body. His hair grew as long as eagle feathers and his nails as long as bird claws. Did you know that there's actually a mental disorder where people act like ox or other animals? It's called insania zoanthropica. <laughs> it's, actually, it's an actual mental disorder, the form of insanity in which men think of themselves as animals and imitate the behavior of an animal that has been observed. One special kind of insania zoanthropica is what is called boantrophy. What is boantrophy? Boantrophy is a psychological disorder in which the sufferer believes he or she is a cow or ox, a patient suffering from boantrophy may well be down on all fours chewing grass. And this is very rare, but it does happen when people become like cows. Can you imagine seeing an individual walking on all fours in the grass, eating grass? If you see that, that's a rare case. That's a rare psychological disorder called boantrophy. And there was a case study, Dr. Raymond Harrison observed a case in, British, in a British mental institution in 1946. A man in his early 20s was hospitalized for five years. And when they looked at the symptoms, the description of Daniel chapter 433 is what was being displayed by this man in his early 20s. And so it's a real disorder. And Yahuwah God gave, gave Nebuchadnezzar, that disorder to humble him, right, for seven years. And so what happened after seven years? When the seven years had passed, said the king, I looked up at the sky and my sanity returned. I praised the supreme God and gave honor and glory to the one who lives forever. He will rule forever and his kingdom will last for all time. 
He looks on the people of the earth as nothing. Angels in heaven and people on earth are under his control. No one can oppose his will or question what he does. And so after seven years, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? The Bible says his insanity returned. And so he became normal. And he was returned to his kingdom. And he continued his rulership over the kingdom. Although shortly after this, he died. So shortly after this episode, he dies. Nebuchadnezzar dies. So we don't really know much about what happened to him. However, we do know uh, that there is this gap of seven years where he was absent from ruling Babylon, right? Was this also depicted in archaeology? It turns out it does, because according to David Guzik, a researcher, some dismiss this account of Nebuchadnezzar's madness as unhistorical, but did you know there is historical record, there is no historical record of his governmental activity between 582 BC and 575 BC. How many years is that? Seven years. This silence is deafening, especially when we keep in mind how Near Eastern leaders liked to egotistically trumpet, announce it, their achievements, and hide their embarrassments. The Near Eastern the kings would never, ever make publicly known any of their embarrassments, but they would trumpet all of their successes and achievements. So there's a seven-year gap of silence, which corroborates the story in the book of Daniel chapter four. And so what does Nebuchadnezzar learn in the seven years? Let's read Daniel 4, 36 to 37. When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom my advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven, and all his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. And so here, Nebuchadnezzar, recognizing what happened to him, acknowledges that he was proud, but Yahuwah Abba, Yahuwah our God, humbled him. And so Nebuchadnezzar praised and glorified who? God. And so he ended up worshiping who? God, right? And so for this to take place, the one thing that had to be removed was the problem of his pride. Because of his pride, because of his pride, these seven characteristics bode true for his leadership. And so he was humbled by Yahuwah God. And so prior to his humility, Prior to him being humbled by God, he was proud. And so because he was proud, although he saw the acts of God as being impressive, he was, he was uh, impressed, but not converted. But when he was humbled, because he was humbled, he became converted. And so sometimes, brothers and sisters, as a lesson that we can learn from this story is that when we come to a place where we forget that our successes come from Yahuwah, when we are so absorbed about our own self-interests and we are not concerned about the agenda of Yahuwah Abba concerning his kingdom, Yahuwah God has a way of telling us that. If we truly want to be converted, if we truly want to be the people of Allahim, we need to make sure that Yahuwah's agenda becomes our agenda. 
It has more priority than our own personal agendas. We're not saying you cannot have your own personal agendas, but Yahuwah Abba's personal, his desire for us, especially as it relates to the kingdom, that must have priority over everything else. And if this is not the case, then Yahuwah has a way of humbling us. And so if we truly want to be the true converted sons and daughters of Yahuwah Abba, what should we do? In James 4, 6 to 10, but the grace that God gives is even stronger. As the scripture says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So then submit yourselves to who? Not to your leaders, right? No, no, no. Submit yourselves to who? Yehuaba. Resist the devil and he will run away from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you hypocrites. Be sorrowful. Cry and weep. Change your laughter into crying, your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. If we truly want to be converted, it begins with humility. Pride gets in the way. Sometimes our self-boasting and our thinking of ourselves as too high can be very dangerous. And that's more so, that's even more true when it comes to religious pride. Sometimes when we have some knowledge and we think we're better than other people, that gets in the way of our relationship with Abba. We must not have pride. And so we need to catch ourselves with pride. And so to do that, we need to examine self. We need to look at what we think, look at what we say, and look at how we behave. And so we must humble ourselves instead of elevating ourselves, right? Instead of saying we're the only ones who are going to be saved, everyone else is going to go to the lake of fire, right? Listen to us. We don't make any mistakes. That's pride. No, no, no. We should not be like that. The Bible says humble yourselves, and Yahuwah God is going to give you grace. He's going to lift you. Uh, and so let us begin every day with humility. Go to him and ask for his forgiveness and draw near to him. Which brings us to the question of the day. Will Nebuchadnezzar be saved? Right? Because initially he was impressed, but he was not converted. He was humbled that experience drove him to Yahuwah. And so he worshiped and glorified Yahuwah. So the question is, will Nebuchadnezzar be saved? Well, I don't know. <laughs> right? I have no idea. One thing for sure, he had a good ending. He had a bad start, but a good ending, which is different from King Solomon. <laughs> he had a good start. Remember when he prayed for humility or for, he prayed for wisdom? And then God blessed him. And so he had success. And so what happened after he had success? He forgot who. And then he eventually built places of worship for Molech, right? And all, all these, other, these other false gods. So he started good, but he finished poorly, right? This is why we have to understand, brothers and sisters, sometimes, maybe not sometimes, maybe most of the time, maybe all of the time, success is our number one enemy. Because oftentimes, success can be an idol, right? Sometimes we hold on to that success and gravitate to that success that we forget Abba. And so our ways of understanding becomes clouded. Instead of worshiping Abba, we worship the blessing of Abba. You get it? Instead of adoring Yahuwah, we adore the blessings of Yahuwah, right? The gardens of human accomplishment, 
is what we end up worshiping. And so we need to make sure that we are not clouded in our thinking. And so Nebuchadnezzar had a bad start. He was a pagan, but it seems like he had a good ending. And if I were to say, in my opinion, this is not doctrine, I think Nebuchadnezzar will be saved. It's just my opinion. And the reason why I believe that is because there's something I haven't told you yet about the book of Daniel chapter four. Did you know the Bible was written by Hebrew people? Except for Daniel chapter four. <laughs> you know who wrote Daniel chapter four? Who do you think wrote Daniel chapter four? Well, let's go back to Daniel 4.1. I don't know if you noticed this, but in when we read, it says King Nebuchadnezzar. That means he's introducing himself. I'm the king. And his letter, his, um, what was, what he, his, uh, you can call it affidavit, <laughs> is addressed to all the people, right? So Nebuchadnezzar addressing all the people all over the world to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world. May you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And so he writes, Nebuchadnezzar writes chapter four of the book of Daniel, which happens to be the longest chapter in the book of Daniel. So this is his own personal testimony about what happened to him. And in his personal testimony, Nebuchadnezzar was quick to tell you about his faults. No other king, no other religious leaders really capable of doing that. But Nebuchadnezzar was so humbled. That's why you have Daniel chapter four. This is why people think, was, was he saved? Maybe. It looks like he might be because why else would he his testimony be included in the Bible, right? Maybe he was saved as a testimony of what Yahuwah God can do even with a pagan tyrant. That shows you powerfully that Yahuwah can change personalities, although he had to do it the hard way, you know? You see, when Yahuwah wants to change a person, he, either we can have it the easy way or the hard way. What's the easy way? We listen to the warning of Yahuwah Abba, right? We repent. What's the hard way? Seven years of living like an ox. <laughs> That's pretty hard. But Nebuchadnezzar went through it. He was humbled. He recognizes Yahuwah. And he writes this part of the Bible. Now, is this corroborated by archaeology? I mean, if this is true, this is a first. Because all the ancient Near East kings, they will always hide their failures. The, Egypt the Egyptian kings did it. All the other ancient kings did it. None of them would cover their failures or none of them would, would uh, publicly disclose their failures. But there was a discovery in cave four of the Qumran caves, which is the Dead Sea Scrolls. The words, it was a prayer of Nabonidus. The words of the prayer that Nabonidus, the king of Assyria and Babylon, the great king prayed when he was smitten with a malignant disease by the decree of the most high God in the city of Tamar. I was smitten for seven years and from men I was put away. But when I confessed my sins and my faults, he, God, allowed me to have a soothsayer. This was a Jewish man of the exiles in Babylon. Look at that. He explained it and wrote me to render honor and great glory to the name of the most high God. Well, it says here, Nabonidus. 
But according to many scholars, the difference between Nabonidus and Nebuchadnezzar is one letter. And many are saying that there was an, it was a poor copy, by the way. So there was an, an error in the translation. Instead of NBND, it should be NBKD. NBND stands for who? Nabonidus. NBKD stands for who? Nebuchadnezzar. And so many um, say, suggest that the prayer of Nabonidus should be the prayer of Nebuchadnezzar that was found in K4 at Qumran. Uh, but even if it is, is not, you know, even if it's Nabonidus, one could still make the argument this was referring to who? Nebuchadnezzar, because Nabonidus was the grandson or a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. And so either way, it's still referring to this incident. Uh, so what we find is the seven characteristics of Nebuchadnezzar's leadership, right? And what characterizes all that? What is it called again? Prime. Uh, when we look at this and we look at seven characteristics of Nebuchadnezzar's leadership, in actuality, we can change the title and say the seven characteristics of many religious leaders, right? I mean, when you look at these seven characteristics, it applies and can apply to many religious leaders today, does it not? Right? Those who claim sole, absolute authority, are there religious leaders like that today? Yeah. Those who use brainwashing and indoctrination techniques, is there? Yeah. They use power and authority to rule by fear? Yeah. How can you tell if a religious leader is ruling by fear? They're afraid to be expelled, right? Number four, makes impossible demands from his people. Instead of helping them, they oppress and abuse them. What else? Number five, uh, they demand public display of absolute loyalty and surrender to, to him, to himself, the leader. What else? Number six, they use the power of music. Are there religious leaders to do this? Yeah, to instill in the heart of his followers to adore and praise him, right? We love you, 3,000. Number seven, boasted of his accomplishments. Building projects. Are there religious leaders who do this? Yeah. yeah. So when you when you look at this, it really does apply to many religious leaders today, and we're not surprised. Why? Because there's a prophetic pattern that was at work then, which is at work even today. Take a look. We're almost done. Isaiah one, two down to three. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for Yahuwah has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. And so what we find here is Isaiah's description of the problem of the people of God. What is that? For a while, they worship Yahuwah and are loyal to him because Yahuwah is nourishing and bringing them up. But once they accomplish certain things, what happens? They forget the hand that fed them. This is why who's better than the people of Israel? The ox. Do you remember who was reduced to an ox? Was it not King Nebuchadnezzar for the purpose of humbling him to recognize that the, the one who should be glorified the one that should be praised is not the man, but who? God who created the man. 
And so the people of Israel have this problem with failing to recognize Yahuwah God as the source of everything. And so they praise the, the blessing. They give glory to the blessing instead of giving glory to the God who gave the blessing. Do you see that? Right? And so this is a problem. This is a repeating pattern, even during the last days. Why? Isaiah 1, 8 down to 9. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless Yahuwah of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. And so the pattern of the people of God becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah, because they failed to recognize that Yahuwah is to be glorified and recognized as the provider of all, instead of giving glory to God, what do people do? They give glory to their leaders. They give glory to the blessing. They admire the blessing instead of Yahuwah Abba, who gave the blessing. And so what would become of the people of Israel? They become like Sodom and Gomorrah. But God would always leave behind a small remnant. And when this pattern repeats itself, whom does Yahuwah Abba blame for that? Let's read verse 10. Hear the word, hear the word of Yahuwah. You rulers of Sodom, give ear to the law of our God. You people of Gomorrah. Who does God blame for the pattern of always turning away from him? Well, he blames the rulers and the people who follow the rule. <laughs> you can only have a ruler if you let the ruler rule you. And so Yahuwah is saying, you know why these rulers are ruling the way they are? It's because you're letting them. You're letting them. You're saying amen to everything they have to say, even if it goes against the law of our God. And this happened to Israel. And this is even happening now. When the leaders do whatever they want and say whatever they want, and the people of God say amen, even if it's lies, even if it's completely untrue, even if it's against the teachings of Abba. Why? Because they have given glory, not to God, but to their leaders. And this can happen at any time. It is happening now. And when this was happening to, De to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, do you remember the advice that Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar? You remember? What was the advice that Daniel gave to Nebuchadnezzar? Which is good advice that we should heed today. What was that? Stop yeah, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Be merciful to the poor. Do you know that same advice was given by Isaiah? When we go back to the prophecy in Isaiah 1, when it mentions 10, Listen to the word of God, you rulers. Listen to the word of God, you people. You know what Yahuwah God wanted them to do? Isaiah 1. We're still in chapter 1. We're just looking at this in the context, right? Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for thee widow. Isn't that the same message? The same advice that Daniel gave to Nebuchadnezzar? That advice is the same advice Yahuwah is giving to the rulers and the people of his nation even during our time. Do you see the pattern? And so what does Yahuwah God want them? To repent, to cleanse themselves, stop sinning, and to defend the fatherless, and to plead for the widow. But instead of doing that, what do they do? Let's keep reading 21 to 23. See how the faithful city has become a harlot. So the process of how you become from becoming a faithful city to a harlot is being depicted here, which is the opposite of what happened during the days of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar's days, 
how he went from a harlot to a faithful city. It begins with what? Humility. To go the other way from a faithful city to a harlot, what does that begin? What is that? Uh, what is needed? What ingredient do you add? It's called pride, spiritual pride, pride in general, right? And so this is what happened. She once was full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, rebelling against who? Yahuwah, companions of thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case has not come before them. Yahuwah God is telling them, your authority and power as ruler, as leaders, it should be to help the weak. Like the fatherless and the widows, not to take advantage of them, right? But to help them, to listen to them, to listen to their case. But this is not what they did. They rejected the advice of Yahuwah. They kept doing what they wanted to do. And so there was a very small remnant. And what did Yahuwah God do? Because they would not listen to his advice. Isaiah 126 I will restore your judges as in the days of old, your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So Yahuwah God will use a small remnant and give to them judges and counselors that will lead them to become a city of righteousness. Well, how about those who will not listen to righteousness, who would not heed the teaching of Yahuwah Elohim? Well, let's keep reading. 129 to 31. For you will be put to shame. Because of the trees you desire. And because of the gardens of your pleasure. I want to pause there for a while. Yahuwah God is speaking about those who belong to his people but have turned away from him. What is their desire? What is their desire? The trees. Do you remember the trees? Who are like it to trees? Remember Psalm 37? I have, been, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. People with power and authority. They're likened to what? Trees. Trees. What kind of tree? A wicked tree, perhaps? Powerful tree, strong tree. Like Nebuchadnezzar was likened to a tree that was cut down. Right? In Isaiah 126 and Isaiah 129, the Bible gives warning for you will be put to shame because of the trees you desire and because the gardens of your pleasure. And so Yahuwah God is saying to them, despite what's happening, you still continue to seek these leaders, trees. You keep seeking gardens, the accomplishments of the trees and these leaders, the secret gardens. Instead of glorifying God, they're glorifying the success. Instead of glorifying God, they're glorifying the leader. And Yahuwah God said, for you will be like a tree whose leaves have become dry and like a garden without water. And the strong will be as food for the fire and his work as a flame. And they will be burned together with no one to put out the fire. And that's how it ends. That's how it ends. Not according to me, but according to Isaiah, which means it's according to who? Yahuwah. It's not a happy ending, is it? And this is why we need to heed the teaching of Abba. Instead of glorifying the leaders, instead of singing praise and song to leaders who are the trees, we sing and praise who? Yahuwah. Instead of boasting about human accomplishments, we boast about knowing Yahuwah, about his work of redemption, about giving up his son, about forgiving forgiveness of our sins. That's what we boast about. 
We don't boast. We don't boast about our accomplishments. We don't boast about how many members we have. We give praise to Yahuwah. Instead of boasting about gardens, we boast about redemption. Because that's how Yahuwah lavishes his unfaithful love and compassion to his people. And so if we will heed the voice of Abba, we will become a true tree. A true tree. You see, there's a difference between a tree that is built upon trusting Abba and a tree built upon trusting human beings and accomplishments. What is that? Let's read one more passage before we pray. Jeremiah 17, 5 to 8. This is what Yahuwah says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from Yahuwah. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. But blessed, blessed are those who trust in Yahuwah and have made Yahuwah their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. The Bible says if there's a tree, but it relies on human strength and places their trust in humans, that tree's not going to last long. It may be strong and powerful for a time, but the book of Isaiah says it will be consumed by fire. No one will be able to undo its destruction. But the one who places their confidence and hope in Yahuwah, they're like trees planted along the riverbank. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing good fruit. Brethren, let us stay away from placing our trust in human leaders. Beware of religions which tell you to completely submit to a human leader here on earth. That's not of God. That's not of God. Because we place our trust not in humans. We place our trust in who? Yahuwah Abba. Yahuwah our God. And so if there's a lesson that we can learn from Nebuchadnezzar chapter 4, or Daniel chapter 4, written by Nebuchadnezzar, there's something we can learn. Brethren, it is to understand and see that everything, everything is from who? Yahuwah. That our accomplishments mean nothing. What is important is Yahuwah Abba, that he's glorified. You glorify God, it doesn't matter what you've accomplished. It doesn't matter. Because that is the purpose of our life. But if you accomplish many things and you receive the praise and glory instead of Yahuwah God giving glory, it doesn't really matter what you've accomplished. It will all result in failure. And it will be burned in the end. And its destruction will be vast. And it can no longer be undone. And so let us place our hope, our confidence and trust, not in human beings, but in Yahuwah Abba, our almighty Allahim. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting and most holy Yahuwah Allahim. Amen. Thank you for the message we have received this yes, evening. Father. We glorify you yes, because we know you are at work yes. as you prepare the salvation that is soon going to be given Amen. to those who love you and place their hope and confidence yes. in you. Amen. Father, help us to endure 
the trials that we have to go through. Yes. Help us to be strong. And during times of affliction and persecution, yes. teach us to look up to you, yes. to rely upon your strength, not ours. Yes. Because what matters is you and your work in our life. Amen. Our loving Mashiach Yahushua, yes. may you please be in our midst, especially when we assemble together in yes. prayer, in worship, in Bible study. Amen. We long to feel your presence. May you yes. be in our hearts. May you comfort and strengthen us and teach us to be humble. Yes. To rely not upon any human strength, yes. but to rely upon you, to rely upon our loving Abba. Amen. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers yes. and you have blessed your people throughout the world. Yes. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.